grateful for this opportunity to be back in Bible study and continue this series of lessons surrounding uh, the book and the story of Esther. We have crossed the halfway point. Well, as of last week, we crossed the halfway point, and we are in Esther chapter 6 tonight, which deals with uh, the humiliation of Haman. What is it that we have learned up to this point? We, we, we told you when we started, uh, and we always feel the need to do some kind of a review uh, to bring us up to speed. What is it that we have learned thus far uh, from this uh, book of Esther? Uh, we, we made it clear that there is no uh, mention of God in Esther. There's no mention of a temple or synagogue in Esther. There's no mention of sacrifice in Esther. Uh, uh, there, there is a mention of fasting, but it is not accompanied by prayer. Uh, so as, as books of the canon go, Esther is one of uh, the least overtly spiritual books that you will find. But there is a lesson to be learned from uh, the allegorical nature of the book. It is uh, uh, important that we see the story for what it is, which is the revelation of the terrible possibility of wasting our lives because we allow ourselves to be driven by selfish ambitions rather than by uh, divine ambitions. Uh, thus far, we've been introduced to Xerxes, who is uh, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. And uh, as far as we can tell, at least from Esther's standpoint, because Artaxerxes is mentioned in other books of the Bible, and he's seen far as a far more strong uh, and aggressive uh, individual in those books than what we find in Esther. In, in Esther, Xerxes is weak. In Esther, Xerxes is uh, uh, very much not in control. He sits in the seat of power but he doesn't know how to properly wield the power that is his. We see it in chapter one when, when, when he gets drunk. Let's just start with that. He got drunk. Uh, there, there was a party that lasted for several days and over the course of time, he allowed himself to get drunk. And, and I like to remind people every chance I get, ain't nothing good about being drunk. I, 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 I can't think of anything that's beneficial that comes from being drunk. And yet here's a man with immense leadership, uh, immense responsibilities. Uh, the, the, there are 200 plus provinces that are under his direct authority, and yet he allows himself to get drunk. And he gets so drunk that he decides that he's going to exploit his wife, Vashti. He, 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 he tells, uh, uh, well, he sends word because while the men are in one place, his wife is holding court in another place. And he tells them to send for his wife and tell her to come in wearing nothing but her crown, nothing but her tear. He, he, he wants to parade Vashti. Clearly, Vashti is a beautiful woman. He wants to parade Vashti before uh, his guests, who are all drunk with him, by the way. So she's going to be paraded around in front of a whole bunch of drunken folk. Uh, and, and Vashti says, no, I'm not, uh, not going to do it. And, and she refuses to come. And, and, and another indication of his lack of leadership is that when Vashti says no, he doesn't know what to do. Uh, he, he, he looks around. What you mean she said no? How, how, 
How am I supposed to respond to this? And, and his crew, his, his cabinet, his advisors, pick up on the fact that he doesn't know what to do, and so they suggest something to him. And, and, and the suggestion is far out of line with what happened. What happened was really a, a personal incident, blown up a little bit, but it's really a personal incident between a husband and wife. The, the, the advisors say, you need to pass a law that says that all women in every province that is under your authority must submit to their husbands. And this is important that you do this, Xerxes, because if you don't do this, these women are gonna get out of hand. And I'm looking at a room that's filled with nothing but women. <laughs> uh, but but, but uh, th these women are going to get out of hand. They, they will get out of their place. They will forget who's really in charge. Can I make this suggestion? If you got to pass a rule to show folk that you're in charge, you're really not in charge. But he passes this edict that, and Vashti is banished. We, we don't hear from her again except in the first verse of, of the second chapter. And, and, and so he's, he, he, Xerxes is someone who, who we see as a rather weak man. He, he holds a position, but he doesn't know what to do with the authority that is his. He's not the only person that we uh, see. I, I mentioned Vashti, but we also come to see uh, Esther. And Esther is someone who is manipulated by her relative, by the person who was responsible for raising her, a man named Mordecai, to enter into the, the Vashti substitute queen contest. Uh, the, 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 the word went out throughout the land that, that uh, Vashti has been put away, we're gonna get a new queen, and so uh, send your most beautiful women to uh, to, to Susa, and there we're, we're going to uh, allow them to pass before the king. And if the king finds favor with them, then this person will become the queen. Well, Esther, Esther ends up becoming the queen because she does find favor with the king. Clearly, she's a, an extremely beautiful woman, an attractive woman, but it should not be lost on us that Mordecai, her, her relative, her, her kinfolk, her blood, uses her for his personal advantage. Mordecai doesn't care about Esther becoming queen, except for the fact that Esther becoming queen, Mordecai thinks will elevate him in the eyes of the king. So he's exploiting his cousin, his, his niece, his relative, in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Then we hear about a fellow named Haman. And, and, and Haman is also an exploiter. But Haman's exploitation is not of uh, uh, Esther or, or of any of the servants. Haman's exploitation is of the king. Haman has the king's ear. Haman has the king's attention. And, and, and Haman uses that in order to promote himself. And, and, and these are the main characters. I don't want to spend too much time. I do this every time. I spend too much time talking about reviewing than I do dealing with the, 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 the particular lesson here. But I think it's important that we see Mordecai and Haman for who they are. Mordecai and Haman are flip sides of the same coin. They're both uh, manipulators. They're both individuals that are seeking to use their position to exploit someone else. In the case of Haman, he's exploiting the king to try to elevate himself, which is the common uh, thing that happens in capitalistic societies in the first place, because capitalism only works if there is an exploiter and an exploitee. Uh, everybody thinks Donald Trump is really in charge of, 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 of this country. Uh, Donald Trump sits in a seat, but Donald Trump is not really in charge. The crazy folk who talk to Donald Trump are the ones who are actually pushing the buttons and, and, and moving things around. People like Stephen Miller and, and uh, Jeff Sessions, who, who, was, 
who was in and now he's out and he's trying to find a way to get back in. People like uh, Attorney General Barr, these are people who speak to the president and get the president to do what, he, what they want him to do. They're the ones who are in charge. That's the way capitalism works. And it reminds us that you don't always have to sit in the seat to be in charge. In fact, more often than not, the one who sits in the seat is not really the one who's in charge. Others are. So that's, that, that, that's Haman's exploitation. But the other exploitation is Mordecai, who, who as we have said, exploits Esther. Here's, here's the difference between, why are there two manipulators? Why are there two exploiters in this story? Because each one is exploiting someone different. Haman is exploiting Xerxes, which is the way the capitalism works. Mordecai is exploiting Esther. And Esther, for the purposes of this allegory, for the purposes of this story, Esther represents the deliverer. Have you gone to the end of the book? Do you read what happens at the end of the book? Or y'all just waiting for me to get there and, and, and take, taking weeks and weeks and weeks to get there? It, 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 if you read to the end of the book, Esther saves her. I, I can tell y'all, it, it ain't a spoiler. It's been written down for like 2,000, 3,000 years. So it's not a spoiler. Esther saves her people. Esther becomes the deliverer in the same model that Moses delivered his people from Egyptian bondage to the promised land, in the same model that David delivered his people from the enemies of the Philistines and others in the area and made Israel an independent and strong nation. Esther serves in the role of the deliverer. Now, you and I both know that there's one great deliverer, and that one great deliverer is Jesus, right? So what, what is it that we are to learn from Mordecai and Esther? I just need to make this point, then I'm going to move into chapter 6. What we need to learn is that Mordecai wants to manipulate the deliverer. He wants to tell the deliverer how to deliver. And I want you to think about that for a second. And I want you to ask yourself, am I guilty? Am I guilty of trying to tell my deliverer how to deliver? In the story, the deliverer is Esther. But you just told me that your deliverer is Jesus. So now, let me ask you, have you ever been Mordecai? Ha have you ever tried to tell Jesus what to do? And how to do it. And if you say you haven't, I'm not going to call you a liar. But I am going to say you have faulty memory. Your, 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 your recollection is really not that good. All of us, at some point or another, have tried to tell the deliverer how to deliver. I can't tell you how many times I have gotten myself into trouble and I have taken my trouble to the Lord in prayer and I have told the Lord, I'm putting this burden in your hands. I'm trusting you, God, because you're God and you can do anything and I'm just going to leave it in your hands. And I pray in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus the great I am in the name of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith in the name of Jesus. And, and I go through all that rigmarole and, and I say, I'm going to leave it in your hands. And before I can get off my knees, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to fix what I just said I was putting in God's hands. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to Jesus with a burden. And instead of saying what we sing in the, in, the, in the hymn, let Jesus fix it for you, I tell him, now, Lord, I know you God, but if you let me take, if you just do this, or if you just do that, or if you just do the other, then everything will work out okay. Haman is bad, but Haman is is what the world expects. The world is filled 
with Haman's. What's sad is that there are a whole lot of Mordecai's. And I ain't talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church. So I just want to, 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 to feed you that little spoonful as we move into Esther chapter 6. You ready? Let's go. That night, the king couldn't sleep. He ordered the record book, the day-by-day -day journal of events, to be brought and read to him. They came across the story there about the time that Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, the two royal eunuchs who guarded the entrance and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. The king asked, what great honor was given to Mordecai for this? Nothing, replied the king's servants who were in attendance. Nothing has been done for him. The king said, is there anybody out in the court? Now Haman had just come into the outer court of the king's palace to talk to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had built for him. The king's servants said, Haman is out there waiting in the court. Bring him in, said the king. When Haman entered, the king said, what would be appropriate for the man the king especially wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, he must be talking about honoring me. Who else? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, do this, bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crown on its head. Then give the robe and the horse to one of the king's most noble princes. Have him robe the man whom the king especially wants to honor. Have the prince lead him on horseback through the city square, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. All right, let's, let, let, let's pause there. Xerxes can't sleep, perhaps because he was curious and perplexed about Esther. If you recall, in the last chapter, Esther had presented herself to the king, which she really wasn't supposed to do, but she did it in such a way that the king was very receptive to her. She didn't just approach him. The text says that she positioned herself in such a way that the king, glancing across the room, would see her. And when the king did see her, he was taken by what he saw, and he motioned for her to come forward. And when she, when, when she came forward, he reached out his scepter to her, and she touched the tip of the scepter with her hand. And whatever she did when she touched the scepter with her hand, it moved him so that he said, you can ask for whatever you want. I'll give you anything you ask for up to half my kingdom. And Esther said, all I want is for you and Haman to come to dinner. Just the three of us come to dinner. And so they, they go to dinner and Haman goes with them. And, 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 and when he gets there, Xerxes says, again, I told you, Xerxes is weak. Xerxes reiterates what he had said before. Look, you can have anything that's mine up to half my kingdom. Just tell me what it is that you want. She said, I don't, uh, I don't want anything really. I, I just want you to come back again tomorrow night. I enjoyed tonight so much. I enjoyed having dinner tonight so much. I just want y'all to come back tomorrow night. Now, when you come back tomorrow night, I, I, I'll tell you what's really on my mind. So that was chapter five. It could be that it was Xerxes trying to figure out what Esther really wanted that has him up walking the floor at night because it, it, it does not seem like it was a normal thing 
for Xerxes to not be able to sleep. So he's up pacing back and forth. Now, what is it that she really wants? What, what, what is it that I can give her that will make her happy? But while he's up, he does what a lot of us do. He says, oh, let me read something, something boring. So, 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 so he grabs a record book. Can't, can't, can't get too much more boring unless you're an accountant. You can't get too much more boring than reading a record book. Uh, uh, Jesse, it'd be like you grabbing one of them computer books that, that had formulas all over. <laughs> just, 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 just boring stuff. And, and, and as he's reading, he comes across an account where Mordecai actually saves his life by revealing two conspirators that had gotten within his ranks. And to show you how oblivious he is to what has happened, he can't remember whether or not we did anything for him. He turns to his servants and he said, this is a good story. Mordecai did a good thing. What, what did we do for him? And they said, you didn't do anything. You did nothing for him. And, and, and that set him back a little bit. And, and, and then he said, is anybody outside now? Now, you know that this story is a construction, right? It's midnight. Ain't nobody supposed to be outside. But because it says that he's, he can't sleep. So Haman is just hanging around waiting for him in the middle of the night to decide that he's going to invite him in. The, the, the story is a construction, but it's a good construction because Xerxes says, who's, who's outside in the courtyard? And the, the text says Haman had just arrived because he wanted to talk to the king about having Mordecai hung on the gallows. And, you know, that, 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 that's what Haman's wife suggested, you know. He, he, he went home after having dinner with Esther and Xerxes, and he was bragging to his wife. Wasn't nobody there but us, baby. It was just the three of us. We're, and, and, and the food she fixed was good, and she, 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 she did a good job. He, he didn't tell her how good she looked because that's a husband talking to his wife. And a husband talking to his wife got sense enough not to tell his wife how good the other woman. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, so, so the food was so good. We had such a wonderful time and guess what she invited us back tomorrow night and I would really enjoy it if it wasn't for that no account Mordecai I walked out of the queen's palace and and there was Mordecai and Mordecai did the same thing he's done to me in the past he, he just totally disrespects me and 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 I I don't know if I can really enjoy going back tomorrow night as long as Mordecai is doing the kind of stuff he's doing. And, 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 and Haman's wife, a woman by the name of Zeresh, says, i tell you how to handle Mordecai. Have gallows built. 75 feet high. That's roughly seven stories high. Okay? H have gallows built. Y'all know them crosses down there on, on the interstate? Uh, uh, the, 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 those crosses are 130 feet high, the two smaller ones on the end, and the one in the middle is 150 feet high, okay? So, about half the height of those crosses is, is, is what she suggests. Understand now, those crosses were constructed using 21st century tools and 21st century engineering. If you're going to erect gallows that are 75, seven stories high. In, 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 in that day and time, you had to go through a lot of elaborate means in order to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. But the point was, get him high enough where from any point in the land, you can look and you can see Mordecai's rotting carcass as he hangs on the gallows. Anybody here watch Game of Thrones? See how quickly you said that and how loud you, you said, you know, in, in Game of Thrones, you didn't just kill people. You mutilated their bodies and, and you, you hung parts of their bodies all over the kingdom. And the whole idea was a, an intimidation effect. It's a fear effect. 
so that everybody knows who's really in charge. And, and, and so Zeresh says to, to, to Haman, if, if you get Xerxes to hang Mordecai from, from, from these high gallows, then everybody will know that you're in charge. And, and Haman says, that's a good idea. And in the middle of the night, he gets up and he runs to the palace. That's what the story says, because he's waiting in the outer courtyard while, meantime, inside the palace, Xerxes is trying to sleep, but he can't. And he's reading boring computer stuff, uh, uh, and, and, and he comes across this story of Mordecai actually being responsible for saving Xerxes' life. And then he asked, was anything done for him? And the answer comes back, no. Then he says, somebody in the courtyard, I thought I heard somebody out there. He said, yeah, well, Haman is out there. He said, well, tell, tell Haman, tell my buddy Haman to come on in. And Haman comes in, and Xerxes says, Haman, let me ask you. If I had somebody that I really wanted to honor, that I really wanted to, 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 to bestow a, a great reward upon. What do you think I should do? Haman thinks that Xerxes is talking about him. Who else could he be talking about? The only person that he could possibly be talking about is me. I mean, who, 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 who's more important? Then I am. Do you know people who think that everything is about them? Do you know people that you're trying to, have you ever tried to unload what's going on in your life to somebody only to have them say, child, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you what's going on with me. There are some people who are so self-absorbed that they can't see anything or anyone other than themselves. And Haman is clearly one of those people. The text says that he said, who else? He must be talking about honoring me. So quickly, Haman starts thinking about what's a wonderful honor that, 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 that I would enjoy having and that will show everybody that I'm really Xerxes' number one guy. And he comes up with all this elaborate stuff. Take a robe that the king has worn and put it on him and take a horse that the king has ridden and let him sit on it and let him be paraded through the city. And as he's paraded, let somebody go before him and proclaim to everybody as he goes, this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. If, 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 if we are, are honest with ourselves, sometimes this is us. Sometimes the only thing that we can think about is how we can heap praises on ourselves. And what it shows is that while you may be doing the right thing, you're not doing it from the right motivation. Now, let me, let, let me jump from Old Testament to New Testament for a second. Jesus teaches that it's not enough to do the right thing. You have to have the right motivation in doing the right thing. It's not enough not to kill somebody. You have to be motivated to love that person. It's not enough to not seek revenge on someone. You have to be motivated to forgive that person. Christianity is not simply about behavior. Here's, here's the fundamental difference between Old Testament sin and New Testament sin. Old Testament sin is all about behavior. It's all about whether or not you have done the right thing or failed 
to do the right thing. But Jesus teaches that it is as important, if not more important, that you not only do the right thing, but that you are motivated to do the right thing. And that you're motivated in the right way. And, and, and you're sitting there saying, well, why is that? As long as I'm doing the right thing, does it matter what the motivation is? Yes, it does. Because anybody can do the right thing for a little while. Anybody can do the right thing for a little while. But it's only when you're motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can consistently do the right thing. I've said this before. Pressure is a, is a terrible thing. When pressure is applied, we behave differently than we do when there is less pressure. And life has a way of applying pressure. I can come to church every Sunday as long as there ain't no pressure on me. But when my spouse is acting crazy and my children are acting crazy and I ain't got no money to put in church so that when the basket passes, the people sitting next to me going to see I ain't put nothing you know, you know that fake thing you do where you drop your head and you ain't got nothing <laughs> in there? When the pressure, when the pressure is applied, then, 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 then all of a sudden we have something else to do. We, we can't come to church that Sunday. If we have a blow up with somebody at church and we know that that can happen, and, and, and then, then we say, well, I, if I go to church, I might see so-and-so, and I don't want to do that, so I'm going to stay away from the church. And, and what you have done is you have made that person more important than Jesus. I wouldn't let anybody keep me from coming to the Lord's house. I wouldn't let my circumstance keep me from coming to the Lord's house. I've been broke. I've been to the place where I couldn't put nothing in the basket. I still came to the Lord's house. I've been in situations where the folk around me were acting crazy. I want you to know what I did not say. My wife was acting crazy. Don't go back and tell her. I said, well, the folk around me were acting crazy. I, 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 I've been there. It never kept me from coming to the Lord's house. Only thing that has kept me from coming to the Lord's house is that I was sick and couldn't get here. Other than that, I want to be, I don't care if it's fifth Sunday, I'm coming to the Lord's house. There's a fifth Sunday in this month, y'all know. You know, for, for, for us, historically, fifth Sunday has meant off Sunday. I, I, I ain't coming to church on the fifth Sunday. Time changes Sunday morning, y'all know. You're going to lose an hour of sleep. And for some of y'all, y'all going to say, ooh-wee, it sure is early. I'll come next week. I wouldn't let those things keep me from coming to. Pressure has a way of affecting our decisions. And so from a New Testament perspective, it is not enough that we want to do. It is not enough that we do the right thing. We have to want to do the right thing. How does that apply to Haman here? Haman has been serving Xerxes, not because he wants to serve Xerxes, but because he wants Xerxes to serve him. Is there anybody here who serves the Lord, not because they love the Lord, but because they want the Lord to keep doing stuff for them? And here's how you know, when the Lord stops doing it, then you stop serving. 
everybody has this testimony. I was sick and I couldn't get well and I prayed to the Lord and the Lord healed me and got me up off my sick bed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Guess what? You're going to get sick again. Keep living. A loved one was near death and I prayed and, and miraculously the loved one got better. Guess what? They're going to die. Sooner or later, they, so, so we, have to, we have to really know why it is that we're doing what we're doing. Are we serving the king because we know that the king is the one that we should serve? Or are we serving the king purely for what the king is doing for us? Because, because once the thing changes, and it will change, then the service stops. So what happens next? Haman tells him to do all of these things, and, and he says this would be a wonderful thing to do. So Xerxes says, go and do it, the king said to Haman. Don't waste another minute. Take the robe and horse and do what you have proposed to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Listen, listen to what else Xerxes says. Don't leave out a single detail of your plan. Can you imagine what Haman's face looked like when, when, when he heard that? Uh... Say that again. I'm not sure I understood. You want me to do this for who? Do it for Mordecai. That, 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 that's the one I was talking about. I was, I was talking about Mordecai. Who'd you think I was talking? Oh, uh, of course you were talking about. Sure. Ain't no problem. Y'all remember them Saturday morning cartoons where the little dog would, would, would have something happen to him and he'd go, rah, 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 rah. That, 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 That's what Haman is doing right about now. He's mumbling and cussing under his breath. No good, low down, no account. Mordecai, he gonna tell me to do this. What, did I hear you say? No, King, I didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. So Haman took the robe and horse. He robed Mordecai and led him through the city square, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman fled to his house, thoroughly mortified, hiding his face. When Haman had finished telling his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his knowledgeable friends who were there, and his wife Zeresh said, if this Mordecai is in fact a Jew, your bad luck has only begun. You don't stand a chance against him. You're as good as ruined. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman off to the dinner that Esther had prepared. Now, I want you to think about that. I, I, I want you to think about, well, 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 let's lift up a couple of things. Number one, let's lift up the fact that Haman did this all day long. Remember, this whole thing came from Xerxes in the middle of the night. Right? Yep. In the middle of the night, Haman says, well, for the one that you want to honor, do this, that, and the other. And Xerxes says, that's a good idea. That's what I want you to do for Mordecai. So he said, and, and hurry up and go out there and get it done. So from sunup to sundown, because it says at the end that they hurried Haman off for dinner. Yeah. 
that means that the entire day he had spent that day parading Mordecai around and saying, this is how the king honors those that he wants to honor. Yes. Haman was trying to annihilate God's people. But here's the thing. Did you notice what the friend said? If Mordecai is a Jew, ain't nothing good going to happen to you out of this. Wasn't Mordecai a Jew the day before? When, when, when Zeresh said, build a gallows 75, wasn't he a Jew then too? My point being, watch how quick folk can change on you. Yeah, baby, that's a good idea. Yeah, you go do that. That, that, that. That's the thing to do. And then you come back and they say, I never would have done that. I don't know where that idea came from. Be careful of your friends. Now, now, they're trying to make the point that you're trying to make, that because they were Jewish, because that's what it says, if this Mordecai is in fact a Jew, your bad luck has only begun. They're trying to make the point that there, there's a history of these Jewish people are prevailing over terrible circumstances. But if you look at the history, there's also a history of Jewish people being slaughtered under terrible circumstances. At one point or another, the Egyptians slaughtered Jews, the Philistines slaughtered Jews. At this point, the Babylonians have slaughtered Jews. Before them, the Assyrians had slaughtered Jews. The logic doesn't hold up. But, but, but what does prove to be consistent is folk who are with you one minute and are against you the next. Yeah, Haman, do that. Haman, that, that, go, go, do that. Get, get permission to, to, to build the gallows, and, and then let's see what happens. And then he comes back and tells them what happened. He says, man, you messed up. He messed up because he listened to. How many folk in here have messed up because you listened to the wrong person? How many people in here have messed up because it sounded good? It sounded like a good idea at the time. You know, my mama ain't Jesus, but I would, from time to time, do stuff with my friends that was in direct opposition to what my mama had told me to do. And then I get caught. And when I get caught, I would say something stupid like, they did it. And I was with them. There was a house being built in my neighborhood when I was about nine or 10 years old. And my mother specifically told me, I don't want you playing on that construction site. I don't want you hanging off of that house as it's being built. Well, me and my next door neighbor, Wayne Allen Hall, who now lives in Los Angeles, <laughs> decided we were going to go and hang out on the house because it's fun. Jump from one level to the night. Could have broken a leg, could have landed on a nail, could have busted my head. But, but we were having a good time until I looked up and saw my mama standing right there on the, on the street. And she said, didn't I tell you not to do that? And so I got down off the house and ran to her. And she said, Give me your belt. 
So I had to take my belt off of me, put it in her hand, and that woman whipped me all the way home. And home was a block and a half. I can't, this is not a joke. This is not hyperbole. She hit me about 40 times, whipping me. And because every time I got ready to run, she said, don't you dare run. Because if you run, it's going to be worse. So I had to walk home while she beat me. Because these days you, you, you call the, the folk and, and they come and, and get. But, but back then, I ain't I ain't know who to call. And if I had called, it wouldn't have amounted to anything anyway. She whipped me all the way. So all my friends saw me getting whipped. All their parents saw me getting whipped. All of them heard me hollering and screaming while I was getting whipped all the way home. And when I got home, after she had calmed herself down, she said, now what possessed you to do what I told you not to do? And I said, Wayne was doing it. And she said, if Wayne goes and jumps off a bridge, are you going to go and jump off of a bridge? And I wanted to say, well, we were jumping off the house, so bridge would only be a little. But I had learned a little bit. I ain't say nothing. I just took it. But, but, but here's the thing. You have to be careful about who you allow to influence you. Haman's idea was wrong to begin with. What, 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 what Zeresh and the others suggested that he do was wrong to begin with. And Haman was blinded by his hatred of Mordecai. And hatred overruled his better judgment. Here's the point, and I'm finished. Here's the point. We have to be careful that we don't let earthly things overrule our spiritual judgment. All of us have to be on guard against allowing the things of this life to intrude upon our relationship with God. We were talking at noon today about Jesus and the temptation experiences in the wilderness, the, the, the tests that he went through after he was baptized and, and he goes up into the mountain uh, to uh, fast and pray. And that's when Satan approaches him. Satan does that. Satan waits until you're at your weakest, most vulnerable moment. Satan waits until your mind is not thinking clearly. And that's when Satan will attack. That's when Satan will whisper in your ear. You have to be of such a spiritual discipline that you recognize a satanic attack for what it is. And that you're prepared to respond to the attack by saying, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to be a part of that. In Matthew chapter 16, we're told that when Jesus reached Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And nobody said a word except Simon Peter. And Simon Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus praised him. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to talk to them, and he starts to tell them about the things that he's going to endure, the things that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be taken, that he's going to be killed. And on, a third, on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. And Simon Peter, nobody else said a word. Simon Peter grabbed Jesus, pulled him to the side, and said, that ain't never going to happen. You need to stop talking about that. That ain't never going to happen to you. And Jesus, who had just praised 
Simon Peter just a few moments earlier because the Holy Spirit had revealed something to him, says to Peter, and really not talking to Peter, but talking to Satan who had been talking to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And here's my point. Satan doesn't attack you in obvious ways. Satan attacks you in subtle ways. Satan attacks you through familiar voices and familiar faces. But if you are of a particular spiritual discernment, then you will recognize that even though it's a familiar voice and a familiar face, what they're saying is not of God, but is of something else. Mrs. Job. Job and Mrs. Job had had 10 children. They'd had a good life. But when calamity fell, Mrs. Job comes to Job and says, you ought to curse God and die. And, and, and Job looked at him, looked real hard. And, 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 and Job recognized that, wow, that's my wife whom I love. That's my wife with whom I've raised 10 children. That's my wife with whom I have built this wonderful life that I had previously had up to this point. That ain't my wife talking. He looks like her. And, 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 and the, 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 the pitch of her voice sounds like her. But what's coming out of her mouth is crazy stuff. And he says that to her. You talk like a foolish woman. God ain't going to attack you. Y'all worried about the, 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 the hoodlum on the street. God ain't going to attack you through the hoodlum on the street. God going to attack you with somebody who sits at your table, in your house, eating your food wearing your clothes, watching your cable. That's who God's going to speak to you through. And so you have to, that's who Satan, I said God, that's who Satan's going to speak to you through. Because that's the way Satan works. And so we have to constantly be on guard, not for the unfamiliar, but for the familiar. Because it's the familiar. <laughs> you know, y'all, y'all spend thousands of dollars putting locks on doors and bars on windows. And all you're doing is locking yourself in with all the crazy folk who are trying to drive you away from the Lord. That's just one thought on this thing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. If thou bidst me come to thee, may we stand together, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that Thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.